It's depressing getting old. All it was was a layup. And uh, I was coaching my six-year-old team, basketball team. And uh, I was like, all right, let me show you what this looks like. Uh, and, I, and I jogged down the court. I jogged down the court, and I'd, I've never felt this. Because, you know, like, I've never had a knee injury, thank the Lord. And I went up, and I turned, and I, my first thought was a little kid just came off the bleachers and kicked me in the calf. And then I took the next step, and I just crumbled. And I was laying on the court, and I go, I think this is an Achilles injury. So I, I, I've experienced it. I don't know what it is yet for sure, but I got a uh, John Moore did a test for me last night and shook his head no. <laughs> so it's not looking promising, but we're going to get an MRI to, to confirm. But I may have ruptured my Achilles. But the, uh, I wish the layup would have looked better. It might have been a little <laughs> bit more impressive. But, <laughs> but this morning, if you got your Bible, Titus chapter 3, Titus chapter 3. And I'm not used to sitting in this chair up here, but we're going to try this this morning. Today, what we're going to be looking at is a simple title, a simple title, final words, final words. And I want you to hear the, I think anytime you, you close a letter out and you get the heart of the apostle as he wraps it up, I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to jump in. But let's, uh, let's pray as we start. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. And I pray today that as we wrap up this wonderful letter, I pray that your spirit would help us to see what we need to take away. And I pray that you would give me strength as I seek to share this. I pray you'd change me as I seek to encourage others with it. I pray we'd all be transformed by your truth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We've been seeing God's design for the church. And when we look at the book of Titus, we're looking at the opening. You know, the opening was so critical because immediately we start learning about this glorious salvation, a salvation that is so wonderful. You go back to chapter 1. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and, and immediately the heartbeat of what he wants to say, for the sake of the faith of God's elect. Now, notice this next phrase. This next phrase sets the whole stage for everything. And their knowledge of the truth, which accords with what? Godliness. Now, if that's going to take place, if it's such a big deal for the Apostle Paul that sound doctrine be taught, that sound doctrine be preserved, that sound doctrine be emphasized, and that that sound doctrine working in the hearts of those who are truly converted, those who are truly regenerated, that the Spirit would take the Word, produce godliness, then how important do you think it is to Titus to have godly leadership in the church to preserve that? That's exactly what he does. He goes right into the elders in verse 5. And he speaks about these men, and he speaks about their qualifications, and he comes all the way through there speaking about the 
necessity of godly leadership. And then he gets into chapter 2 in the first verse. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Why? Because it's the knowledge of the truth that accords to godliness. And what is godliness going to look like in the life of the church inside the body of Christ? Well, there it is. Older women, older men, younger women, younger men, bond servants, this is how it works. And, and so you sort of see a flow here of his heartbeat at the opening of the letter, the necessity for godly leaders in order to follow according to God's design. Chapter two, relationships within the life of the church. You see the summary statement at the end of chapter two, verse 11 through 15. And then in chapter three, what we've been looking at, relationships to the world. How does evangelism look like? How are we to act according to the faith as it relates to those around us that do not know Christ? So we've been seeing this emphasis on knowledge, on sound doctrine, on godly leadership, on good works, and the relationship between position and practice. Our position in Christ, we've been set apart. Our position in Christ the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. We are in him. We are forgiven. We've been set free. We've been pardoned. And now, how are we to live in light of who God has made us in Christ? That's sort of what Paul writes about every time he gets a chance to write. He wants believers to understand who they are. Final words this morning. Let's read verse 12 through verse 15. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. As we jump in, last words, the way I want to look at this with you is three matters, three matters dear to the heart of Paul. Three matters here that are dear to the heart of Paul. I'm going to give them to you as we get started so you can see where we're going. But what we're going to see is, is like, number one, fellow laborers in ministry were dear to the heart of Paul. Number two, adornment of the gospel was dear to the heart of Paul. And number three, confidence in Christ was absolutely precious to the mission and the heart and the ministry of the apostle Paul. Three matters important. Number one, fellow labors in ministry. When we look at verse 12 and 13, 14 and 15, we see some names. These are fellow laborers. These are people that epitomize everything he's been speaking about. It, it, the grace of God working in a person changes them. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. And the grace of the Spirit begins to change our affections. It begins to change our heart. And, and that's what's true, not only of the Apostle Paul, but of those that he serves with. And so now we see some names, and these names are significant. You know, we don't know much about the first one or the third one. We know a lot about the second and the fourth. We see four names, Artemis, 
Tychicus, Zenus, Apollos. Let's look at a little bit further here. He says, when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis. Right away, right away, we see that Paul longed for Titus to be with him at Nicopolis. And what that meant was he needed faithful people to stand in his place while he was gone. And we see something about that. So we're reminded of Titus and how God had worked in this young man. Uh, he, he needed him. He wanted him to come, to be with him at Nicopolis. Paul was, says he decided to spend the winter there. Most people believe we debate. There's a lot of debate about Nicopolis. There's like 10 options as to what city this could be referring to. But what's interesting is, is that almost all of them believe that, that this is where he is imprisoned for his second Roman imprisonment in, in Nicopolis. And so when we see send Artemis or Tychicus to you, uh, when I send Artemis, let's try to figure out a little bit more. We don't know anything more about Artemis. It's a common name that was used back in that time, but we do know a lot about Tychicus. Tychicus was a guy who accompanied Paul on a missionary journey from Corinth to Asia Minor. Because we're looking at this in just these very few verses this morning, real quickly turn over to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, we can learn a little bit about Tychicus. Tychicus is mentioned here. Um, he's mentioned there in verse 4, Sopater, the Berean son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him. And of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus, these went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. You, you get what's happening there. But if you keep, um, but what we find more about Tychicus, we see mentioned on the missionary journey from Corinth to Asia Minor. You could go down to Acts 20, 13, 14, and 15. But then a passage that really teaches us a lot about this man is that Apparently, what we find is, is that he delivered Paul's letter to Colossae. Look at Colossians chapter 4. You move from Acts 20 to Colossians 4, and you see him mentioned not only in Colossians, but also in Ephesians. But just briefly, look at Colossians 4, 7, 8, and 9, because we learn a lot about this man right here. You know, Paul has been writing about the necessity of good deeds. Good deeds reflect what Christ has done in us. Good deeds cannot earn our salvation, but good deeds result from God's glorious salvation. God's grace always precedes good deeds. You don't work in order to receive grace. That would be contrary to the gospel. Anytime that you're tempted to think about it that way, or you have a friend that you love that talks about their salvation in terms of something they've earned, a really good question is sort of like learn from what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 2.21 when he says, For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. And the question that we always have to ask ourselves is, if I'm relying on myself to earn God's favor, then why did I need Jesus to die? Jesus' death reveals the scope of the problem and the magnificence of the solution that 
our triune God has provided for us in the Son and in his work at the cross. Colossians 4, 7, Tychicus will tell you about all my activities. He's a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. Isn't that an amazing way to be described? The grace of God working in this man, Tychicus, a beloved brother, a faithful minister, a fellow servant. And then he says in verse 8, I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. He was an encourager. He loved the word of God, and he had a heart for Paul. He had a heart for the brethren. And then it says, and with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. He's mentioned in Ephesians, possibly uh, delivering the letter there. We're not for sure. Ephesians 6.21, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother, and faithful minister in the Lord will tell you everything. And this is reiterated in 2 Timothy 4.12 when Paul says, Tychicus, I have sent to Ephesus. He was a godly man, and he was a man that was dear to the heart of the apostle Paul. And, and I love it because uh, he is an example of what we've learned in the book of Titus, even in the way he's described so you've got this first person mentioned, Artemis. Then you've got Tychicus. And then Paul says, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis. So we really have got three examples of people that Paul loved dearly that were servants to him. Artemis, Tychicus, Titus. But then he tells them about Nicopolis. And then in verse 13, do your best to speed Zenus, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way, see that they lack nothing. I think sometimes it's lost on us because we forget about the, the difficulty in travel in ancient times. And on these missionary journeys, not only the danger that they would uh, come face to face with in these journeys, the distance, the time. You think about these men and what they gave up to follow Christ and and, and it's a wonderful reminder of, of God's call in our life and a wonderful reminder of their love for Jesus and their desire to follow faithful to the call. Um, but we keep moving and we see Zenus. He's mentioned as a, a lawyer. You've got Apollos and immediately Apollos, we know a lot about him. And we learned about him. Flip quickly over to Acts again, Acts chapter 18. In Acts chapter 18, we see how God was working in a man named Apollos. And, and this becomes a man that is an eloquent teacher and a faithful proclaimer of the word of God. And we read about this, his entrance into the story. Now, a Jew named Apollos, Acts 18, 24, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. Really fascinating. He knew about the baptism of John, 
but he didn't know anything else beyond that baptism. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. Apollos is a great example of what it looks like to grow up in Christ. The Holy Spirit works in our life, woos us, and draws us. And when we come to the Lord, One of the marks of an individual who grows in Christ is that when they are exposed to doctrine that they've never learned, or when they are exposed to error that they have believed, what do they do? In humility, they follow the ways of the word of God. They follow the word. They look to Christ. Apollos is like learning. Priscilla and Aquila aren't mentioned at the end of the book of Titus, but they're definitely co-laborers that Paul loved. And you see this family. You, you see all these people. It's different gifts. Sometimes isn't it easy to uh, look at other people and say to ourselves, uh, you know, I, I, wish, I wish I had that gift. Or I wish God would use me that way, but what we're reminded here of the beauty of the grace of God. And I remember my dad used to say, he's like, you know, it's, it's not, um, it's just being thankful that I got a slice of the pie. <laughs> Wherever God intends, however he intends to cut it, however he's intended to design it. We see this amazing illustration of God working through vessels, And all of these vessels have different gifts, but all of them have been changed by the reality of what we read in the opening verses of Titus chapter 1. And so, Apollos, remember in 1 Corinthians? Apollos had a ministry that was very effective, and, and it wasn't his fault, but there were people there that were attached to him. And Paul is saying in chapter 1 of Corinthians, What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. And we read about that again in chapter 3, verses 4 through 9 of 1 Corinthians. But the illustration is simply this. Here are examples of people that love Christ, were servants of the gospel, and they ministered to the apostle Paul, and he loved them dearly. So three matters that were dear to the heart of Paul. The first one, fellow laborers in ministry. I think sometimes we read about these and we lose sight of the people that are fellow laborers in ministry in our life. Don't take them for granted. I want you to consider, you know, the people that are fellow laborers, the people that God has used to encourage you, the people that God has used to serve you. Thank God for them. Thank God for them. I, isn't it easy sometimes to neglect to, to simply let people know that we love them and appreciate them? Sometimes it's, it's crazy because like we really do value and we, we really do appreciate and love those that God has put in our midst. But just take time, you know. Um, 
write them a card, take time. I mean, send them a text. A card would be more meaningful probably because we don't get cards that much that are handwritten. But, but, but send them, you can do it however you want because I guarantee it, you know, when we share that with other people, it, it, it builds us up and it reminds us of the common foundation that we have in Jesus. People that love the Lord, that are ministering to us, that when we look up and we need somebody right beside us, there they are. And they're ready to go to battle. So he, he, had a, he had a passion and a heart for those that were fellow laborers, but he also had a heartbeat, and we've seen this all through Titus. He had a heart for the adornment of the gospel. He wanted the gospel to be lived, put on display. This morning in our scripture reading, Kenny read out of Ephesians 4. I'm going to read that to you, real, the first part of it, real quick. And, and, and I want you to hear this because Paul says he, he's written three chapters emphasizing the blessings that Jesus has given us in our salvation. So imagine three chapters that are really heavy on, look at what Jesus has done for you. And then he says this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. What does that word worthy mean? That was explained to me years ago, like a, a scale, you know, like the old weights, you know, where you like, you know, something weighs more over here. And, but it's like, let the position that God has created you in Christ Jesus, let it be reflective in your practice, your life. Let it be live worthy of the gospel. And, and, and immediately, in Ephesians 4, Paul begins to deal with relationships. How is it going to be fleshed out? If we're going to live reflecting what God has done for us in Christ, it's going to be seen at a horizontal level. It's going to be seen this way. It's going to be seen in our dealings with one another in the church. It's going to be seen in our dealings with people in the world. It's going to be fleshed out right that way. And that's the heartbeat of what he's speaking of here. He's done it in chapter 2. He's done it in chapter 3. And now look at verse 14 as to what he's speaking about. This is the heartbeat, and we're going to go back a little bit. But let's read verse 14 first. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. So as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Good works. We've seen it over and over and over. Titus chapter 1, verse 16, speaking of those that were causing trouble, that were false teachers, they professed to know God but they deny him by their works. But then Paul in chapter 2 says in verse 7, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. Again, I mean, it's going to be huge for the leadership, for Titus to exemplify this, but it's going to go not just to Titus and the leaders, but to the whole church because this is the way of the gospel position reflecting in practice. Titus 2.14, he gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are what? Zealous for good works. 
Chapter 3, verse 1, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient. And then that phrase, to be ready for every good work. And we saw it last week in verse 8. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. I want to read you a quote. I told you when I um, first studied the pastoral epistles, I, I, I was taught under, you know, just a class of John Stott. He didn't know me from Adam. I was listening to tapes of John Stott teaching. But here's what he said, and, and this is something that I think is really important. After, after Paul goes through Titus 3, 4 through 8, Stott says this, we are now in a position to summarize the six essential ingredients of salvation. Its need is our sin, guilt, and slavery. Its source is God's gracious, loving kindness. Its ground is not our merit, but God's mercy in the cross. Its means is the regenerating and renewing work of the Holy Spirit. It is signified in baptism. Its goal is our final inheritance of eternal life, and its evidence is our diligent practice of good works. That's, that's good. It's, it's evidence, diligent practice of good works, and, and that's Paul's heart as he writes to Titus, as he ministers at Crete. That's a pattern you see. We'll see some passages here in a moment that speak of good works. But notice the specific use of it here. He, he, he's saying, look, th this is urgent. Look at verse 13. Do your best to speed Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack Nothing. This is the idea of uh, help one forward on their journey, as one man said. Um, this is the idea, like uh, the, the amplified same idea, do your utmost to speed Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their way. Um, send Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their journey with haste that they may lack nothing. It, it's the idea of, Hey, these are godly men. You take care of them. They're coming through. You meet their needs. They're coming through. If they're hungry, feed them well. If they need a place to sleep, give them a comfortable place to sleep. Meet every need they have. You love them as the body of Christ and minister to them at every step of the way. That's the heartbeat here. I love this. I, I remember hearing stories and when I was a kid, of uh, when my father would go under communism in Romania, and he would tell me the dearest people he had ever met in his life were the Christians in Eastern Europe and how they gave everything they had to minister to those who were seeking to share the gospel. It, if you get, Paul's going to make this a really big priority here. He wants them to realize, okay, Titus, the believers at Crete, need to understand. Look at 14 again. Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. 
so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Because the body of Christ, empowered by the Spirit, meeting practical needs is one of the most life-giving testimonies of the power of Christ working through the gospel. It ought to be a challenge to all of us to pray that way, to say, God, how can I have an earnestness in the way that I regard others in the body of Christ? It's a wonderful thing to pray about. Lord, help our church, help us to meet urgent needs. Help us, and and, and it's as if Paul is saying, look, I'm going to start with the practical need that you can really assist in, but I want you to realize this is to be the life-giving evidence. This is to be the pulse of the church as it relates to her servants within the world. And that's what he's doing here. He's like, speed them on their way. We saw this in Myanmar. We would go into places where they didn't have anything. And then you would hear later about how much the meal cost them as it related to their monthly wages. And they would be giving you the best of the best that they had. Meals that were special because they wanted to serve you. They wanted to honor you. They wanted to show God's love to you. Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. The word learn means to learn with the moral bearing and responsibility. Like this ought to be emphasized. It ought to be emphasized as to an outflow of God's grace working in us, a devotion to good deeds to be diligent, to practice. Then he uses that phrase, good works. Good works gets a bad name because typically when we think of good works, we think of those that seek to earn salvation by good works. But remember, good works understood in the right way is such a wonderful reality because it speaks of what Jesus says, you know, in the same way, let your light shine before others, Matthew 5, 16, so that they may see your good works, give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And remember how Paul sets it up in Ephesians chapter 2, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast, but surprisingly turns right back around and talks about works. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Remember when we were in Hebrews? The author of Hebrews said in chapter 10, verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, 1 Peter 2.12, again, th- these are practical ways the church interacts with the culture. You want to be a witness for Christ, never neglect words because we can't share the gospel without words, but let the backdrop of your words be a life of love and a life of service and a life of meeting urgent needs. He says in 1 Peter 2.12, Peter, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. I mentioned it a few weeks ago, but they said that one of the 
and, and Muslim testimonials of Muslim con- conversions to con- converts to Christianity. They asked these new believers in Christ from Islamic countries, tell me about how God worked in your life. And more than not, the, the Muslims would say, I watched their life and something was radically different in what they said and what they believed. And we see that illustrated just in that story, but it's all through the New Testament. Three matters dear to the heart of Paul. Number one, fellow laborers in the ministry. He loved them dearly. Number two, dear to the heart of Paul was the adornment of the gospel. But number three, a matter that was dear to the heart of Paul was confidence in Christ. Confidence in Christ. You move from 13 and 14 and then in verse 15, all who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. I like how he says this in verse 15. You know, there's a lot of uh, nameless, faceless people to us there, but it's encouraging, isn't it? They're, they're just as valuable in the eyes of God. And all those, all who are with me send greetings to you. We don't know all their names. They were radically changed by Jesus. The grace of the Holy Spirit was working in these precious people. And, and then he says an interesting phrase, greet those who love us in the faith. Now, now, what in the world does he mean? Well, I think one of the things that popped in my mind was what the Apostle John says. The Apostle John says, Beloved, let us love one another, 1 John 4, 7 and 8. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. You know who are the people that are going to love Paul and the other believers in the faith? The ones that the Holy Spirit has implanted love in. And they're going to love them because they're the family, the love of a family. But, but he, he goes on. It, it looks like, you know, how many times I remember uh, in college I had, um, I had my people, but I had a lot of people that were, they were sort of my people, but not really my people, but I really liked them. And, and I would see them every once in a while. I didn't run in the same groups, but if I hung out with them, we'd have been really close. You know what I'm talking about? You, you got people, you're like, man, if we just hung out, we'd hang out all the time. But I really liked them. But a lot of times I'd see them walk into class and I'd pass the same people almost every day because I'd walk out of that dorm and I'd walk up that sidewalk and they had the same class schedule and I was usually running late and they were coming back on time and we would pass each other. And a lot of times, what's up? Take care, man. How are you? Good. They were just sort of generic little phrases of passing. This is not a generic phrase. This is not Paul saying, I'm signing off. I'm out of here. Y'all take care. What he says in these last five words is filled with theological significance. And if we don't remember that, we will not understand the message of Titus. He says, grace be with you all. Grace be with you all. You say, what is grace? I mean, grace is glorious. And we celebrate part of the glories of grace by saying that grace is God's unmerited favor. Amen. But grace is so much more. Grace is God's transforming power 
to do in us and through us what he commands us to do. The grace of the gospel, Galatians says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And the Apostle John says these tremendous words at the opening of John And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace Upon grace, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And now in Christ Jesus, we who once were far away, we who once were unable to follow God's will, now have Christ who lives in us, who enables us to follow after his will. And you think about what what do we need grace for? Well, get a pen this afternoon and go through the book of Titus and write down every command you can come up with. Every command you can come up with. Go to Titus 2, write down the older men, what they're commanded to be, the older women, the younger women, the younger men, the bond slaves. Look at all the commands in chapter 3. How is Paul going to deal with factious people? How is he going to deal with secondary issues? How is he going to be faithful as a minister to follow after the heart of God as it pertains to all these issues? How is he going to live morally? How is he going to live righteously with his fellow man? It's only in the grace of Jesus that that is even feasible. It's a miracle of God's grace. You know, it's fitting, I think, this morning that we're taking the Lord's Supper. We come into a week of Thanksgiving And I've told you this before, but I have memories. We didn't always do this, but it seemed like when we did it, it was, it was just you know a lot of people around the table, and and an adult would say, "All right, we're going to go around the room, and we're going to all say what we're thankful for." And I'm sitting there going, "Oh, mom, come on, this is weird. Let's eat, you know, mom, this is awkward, you know, 13 years old." And as you get a little older, you realize why moms do that. And you realize why that's such an important question. But I pray as we move out of the book of Titus that it's not just, okay, this is the, what the church should be, but it's the understanding of in light of what God has done for us. This is how we are to respond. I want to read you this before we go into the Lord's Supper. You know, thankfulness flows out of for the Christian the reality of what God has done for us in Jesus. In verse 3, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us 
not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And I pray this week as we go through another week of Thanksgiving that we would reflect on the source of our contentment, the source of what true gratitude flows out of. I'm going to pray for us, and then uh, men who are going to help us this morning are going to come up. So I'm going to ask those gentlemen to come on up as I pray as we go into the time of the Lord's Supper this morning.